Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast as we preview um, yet another huge game out the all now for Everton this weekend when they host Brentford at um, Goodison Park. I'm your host, Chris Beasley, joined by the Echoes Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas, uh, the Echoes Matt Jones and regular guest Gavin Buckland. Uh, if I start with you first, Joe, you're fresh from Finch Farm. Um Yesterday, and uh, we've seen um, got an article coming up from yourself. Uh, pictures of Everton and players training in the snow, but not a hat or snood or gloves in sight. Oh, the gloves, there's plenty of gloves, Chris. Oh, yeah. sorry, including, including just to be clear as well, Sean Dyche is wearing gloves as well. Oh, wow, so, uh, but but gloves were never part of the uh, part of the ban, as it were. Fair enough. Sean, Sean Dyche's diktat is that uh, <laughs> you can only train in what you play in. Um, so no hats and no snoods. Okay, and yeah. The pictures which are from Finch Farm yesterday as the snow was falling down in Halewood show that he was staying true to that. No, no hats and no snoods. Although there were a few players in leggings, and I'm not quite sure where that fits into the. You I know, think, like you say, contest. they are allowed actually in matches. So yeah, so I mean, it, there might be a little bit of a grey area that the players have exploited a little bit, but no, it looks like he's made them. He's made them shiver out there at Finch Farm. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> more um, serious point about uh, how did you find uh, the gaffer yesterday? <laughs> yeah, not bad, not bad yeah. to be honest. I think um, he kind of, I mean, he's been there, done that, hasn't he, with a lot of this stuff and particularly in relegation battles and he, he hits a lot of things with a straight bat and I think that was the case again yesterday. Yeah. You know, obviously I think from our perspective, you know, from fans and reporters and people have been you know tracking Everton for years and everything like that we know tomorrow is a big game it's an absolutely huge game especially with the run of fixtures coming up albeit you know Tottenham looks a little less daunted than it perhaps did a couple of weeks ago but you know I think they really felt like I think there's a real disappointment that Everton didn't hold on to the win against Forest because I felt like two points dropped and I think the only way that that Pot that becomes a positive. The draw becomes okay. Is if Everton go and beat Brentford tomorrow, you know, and mm. that's going to be a very difficult task. Obviously, Deitch doesn't want to get drawn into this is a must-win game because to him everything's a must-win game. He doesn't want to get drawn into a this might mean more because his message of plays is that every game should mean absolutely everything. So you don't really kind of, 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 of you don't really get behind the surface. I think of Deitch unless he's really willing to let you. And at the minute, I don't think he is. And that's probably a good thing, really, I think, for, for Everton as a club and the players and the squad, albeit it makes it a little bit harder to interpret for us who whose job it is to write articles and try and work out what is going on beneath the surface. But, you know, he was in relatively decent spirits. He wasn't awkward with us or anything like that. And, um, you know, I think he's I think he's aware that it's, that it's a big game, but I think he's 
treating everyone as it comes. And like he keeps saying, doesn't go over the top when there's a win. And as a result, he's not going to go over the top when, you know, get on a massive down and when, when there isn't one. So we saw more of that, really, more of kind of, you know, more of the same from Sean Deitch. Yeah. Gav, what were your thoughts on what you heard from um, the Everton manager ahead of this game? I know that Joe's done a piece down from the breakout section talking about wanting his place to have a, a relentless mentality. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, are we con- contractually obliged to mention Calvert-Lewin here or are we just going to pass on? Well, you can be... I'm sure he was going to get a mention. You can go first then, Gav. <laughs> no, no, I mean... <laughs> He gave an update by not really giving an update, I suppose, didn't he, really? Um, I, the, the, vi- the, oh, the vibe, what am I doing saying that? The, you know, the impression he got was that he, he he doesn't sound confident that he's going to play, that he's going to be in selection. Also a bit puzzling, you reckon, you know, Mikhailenko as well was not necessarily given, wasn't it, really? Um, but it was. I, I thought we spoke about Dice to the week, didn't we, about his press conferences, and he, he gave a really good que- answer to that question about his Saturday's a must-win game, and he said every game's a must-win game. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a that was a good answer in many different respects. And and he went on to say about his own career, where he, he as admitting that he wasn't the, the best player, but he had to make up for that. You know, sure for in by being up for it or whatever you would call it. And I think um, you, you saw that and that sort of attitude in his Burnley team. And you'd hopefully that you get that in, in, in his Everton team as well. Uh, between now and the end of the season, I think it was pointed out that he's still learning about the players, but it was just I just thought that was an interesting answer in terms of he... He, I don't think he's going to go out there really for games and just say settle for a point. I think he's going to go out there and you know to try and to win, trying to win every game. And I thought that was a really, really good answer to a to a, a cliche question, I suppose. Yeah. But I thought I thought he, I thought his press conference was fine, brought up some some good points, and um, I think he, he looked in good spirits. He, he's good, at, you know, I suppose. Said the other week, as I say, he's, he's got the press conference by and large, isn't it? As long as you keep it to, to football. And, and he saw that again yesterday. And it was, it was, it was, what I thought it was weird to follow, follow question. Nobody said about he spent time with Thomas Frank. And then there was another question about what did you talk about football? And he said it wasn't that type of trip. So it's obviously, I like, you like to think that they've been on the aisle for like together for a couple of days or something, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Which you well, I've, got, I've, got the answer. I've got some insight to that if, if, if you want to know oh, what he was doing. Yeah. No, so, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's not in Pitt Lathan, is it, Joe? No, no, no. This is behind, behind the scenes knowledge. It was yeah. um, Sean Dyche and Thomas Frank were invited to watch the Champions League final at the end of last season by, uh, by a programme that's basically called Leaders in Football. So uh, right. I think they were invited as a pair. I think they were both individually invited and turned up at the same event together and eventually ended up watching and having a chat together. So, um, but Deitch is very interested in the sense that, and this is different to say Frank Lampard, like when you got Frank Lampard away from the kind of interview scenario, he'd always still want to, you know, you'd still find yourself talking about football. Like he wouldn't go into how's the family getting on and things like that. It would always remain mm-hmm. about football with Deitch. 
you almost it, it seems that you know he's got his public facing work duty on, but the minute that he gets a chance to get out of it, he does. So when you're kind of talking between interviews and things like that, you'll go on to music, you'll go on to other elements of sport or life in general. I think he. He really kind of doesn't like the idea of people thinking of him as just only ever living for sport, which is what a lot of people do. So, um, so when speaking to him about the, this 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 meet up with Thomas Frank, he's actually saying that a lot of their conversation didn't revolve around football and Premier League and what was going on with the different sides. You know, it was actually you know Thomas Frank coming over to the UK, how his family was, how they'd settled down, and things like that. So actually a lot more personable than it was the, the football apparently so um so yeah i mean i like i was saying last week they got on the ale together and gone to i don't know a you know a food fighters gig or something yeah. <laughs> i don't think it was quite like that but um but yeah they, they also weren't just sat around discussing you know yeah i think he's a metallica fan isn't he i'll forgive him that to be honest with you but um but that, that is just very interesting insight isn't it really that you've just given there and you know you could see this, the difference in Lampard and, and Dice and that in terms of handling pressure and stuff that must give you a, a better you know better protection if you've got that balance right and I think probably going, you know what you're talking about there with Frank it, as in Frank Lampard is you can put you some of that what you're talking about there is I think that that's why you saw it at the end of his Everton tenure that he, he was beginning to struggle a bit. And I think Dice is a more well-balanced round of character, probably. Again, probably because of the different playing careers. So that's a really good insight, that. Really disappointed, as you say. It wasn't like a two-day bender in Paris. <laughs> but, hey-ho, never mind. Yeah. A frank discussion, Gaff. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, want to, uh, to Matt, because I know his thoughts on this. I just want to check, Gaff, uh, are, are there any um, any snoods or hats in the in the Buckland wardrobe ever come out on match day? I played on Wednesday night, and that was a bit cold. Um, I did get a bit of stick for wearing taxi bottoms, a snood, a pair of gloves and a hat. Wow. When all the other, all the 11, 11 players on the pitch, none of them items were worn. Really? You know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was, I, I stood out like a sore, sore thumb, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> well, one man who's already confessed to being a, a fan of, of, of the hat and various other additional garments. Um, Matt, what did you, what did you make of um, the, what, what did you take really from them yesterday's um, press conference with Deitch? Well, I haven't talked about it now. I can't get out of my head this idea of like a, a Daesh and Frank sort of Mortimer and White House gone fishing sort of scenario <laughs> where you know, just, sort of around and, you know, just listen to them chat about all aspects of, of life and stuff like that. I mean, that, that's definitely yeah. something I'd, I'd love to see. Um, also as well, you know, you know, it was quite an interesting press conference because he also said that he's been speaking to Dom about fashion advice as well, hasn't he? Really? Which was, uh, just sort of interesting. I thought, I thought that like sort of nicely punctured the, the tension that's been 
kind of building yeah. a little bit around Calvert-Lewin. And obviously, there's it's the first question now, and isn't it? And the first thing that yeah. Everton needs to look for whenever there's a press briefing now. And for him to just sort of talk about that, um, I thought it was fascinating. And I think some, some interesting insight in, you know, the piece that, that Joe did last night in regards to... Dom is going to have a, a big role in deciding when he comes back, which sounds quite obvious at, at face value, doesn't it? Um, but I think it's, and I know it's frustrating for everybody that, that he's not been involved and, you know, this crucial time in, in the campaign when we need a striker more than any other position on the pitch that, that he's not been involved. But I kind of get why the, they're having to take so much time with him and, and manage him and, and, you know, speak to, to Dominic Carvert-Loom and about when he feels like he should come back because nobody's going to know that lad's body and, and how he's feeling and, and whether he's feel like he's going to break down better than himself. And, and maybe you know, there has been times over the past year, 18 months or so, you know, listen, this, this isn't having a go with anyone in particular, but I remember the, the game he came back in against Brighton in January 2022 after so long out and he played 90 minutes that day and you're thinking you know this this is some effort by Don but is it is it a bit reckless and maybe in the past we've kind of rushed them back a little bit too much and listen if that means he misses the weekend and you might get five games out of him so be it um, but I also understand the, the fans frustration but I, I thought he addressed that all really well uh, truth be told and just kind of you know took some of the tension out of what is becoming quite a a little bit of a, you know, a divisive, not very nice topic online when you read what people have got to say about it. Yeah. Joe, um, one thing you put in your piece was how um, Deitch said that Dominic Calvert-Lewin will have a say in when he returns. It's not just going to be like the, the club's medical staff or the manager, that the, the player himself will um, shape this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as Matt alluded to there, you know, no one knows his body better than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And, you know, if he doesn't feel that he's 100%, then you know, you imagine that's going to hamper his performances on the pitch and that as well. I think there's a... There's, there's probably a sense behind the scenes at Everton that they you know, they know the magnitude of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin's importance to this side. It's a completely different one. And one thing we've seen under Deitch, I think, is, is the fact that this side looks like it would be so much... It just looks perfect for for Calvert Lewin for you know a target man to be in yeah. in the midst here you know, to be on the end of it and you know I think the the reality is what well, we've got about twelve games left now if Everton can get Dominic Calvert Lewin to start eight of them I think they stay up and that's the battle um, so you know I I don't think that they can risk. They, they can't take any risks on this because the chances are they've probably got one shot. They bring him back too early, then he gets injured again. That's another five games. Well, he is. You're not really. You're in the same situation at the end of last season where you know you're not really giving him if he does get back any chance to build up any momentum, any form on top of his fitness. So they they need to get it right. Um, and, and as a result of that, obviously he's going to be part of that. The stats are going to play a big part. You know, Sean Dyche says they're looking at. What the data suggested, what the data has looked like when Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been at his fittest, and seen how close he is to that. So I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> Deitch wasn't very clear really on where Dominic Calvert-Lewin was up to. He says he's back on the grass. You can see from the training pitch from this week, he's out there training with the players as well. You know, he's not training separately. So those are all positive signs. But on the other, and, and he kind of didn't rule out the idea that he might be available for this weekend. But that feels like it would be quite an extraordinary leap, I think, to have really, to get there so quickly from where we have been previously. Um, and I, you're bearing in mind that Deitch has been there for over a month now. 
it's very rare that he has ruled him out. He's always kind of left a little bit of an open door, which has left us guessing, which might be part of his tactic and the tactic for other sides and their preparations. Are they going to have to prepare for Calvert-Lewin or not? I mean, if I'm perfectly honest, I would be surprised if we see him before the international break because I just don't see the value in risking him. You know, he's got he'll have absolutely no match fitness whatsoever now. So unless... Yeah, he can't start in the game, even if he's as close as he can be. I don't think he can start him against Brentford with no match fitness. So, you know, you then come to, well, can he play 10 minutes at the end or not to build up? I don't know. But you know, then go away to Stamford Bridge a week later. But there's a 16-day break after that. One of the yeah, things yeah. that Deitch was making clear to us yesterday in the in the bits that weren't recorded for the press conference <laughs> is that time is such a big issue. And there's a recognition that time might have been the issue in the past, that idea of bringing him back too soon. Because, let's face it, for the last 18 months, it's always been vitally important for Everton that he's fit and available because they've always been fighting for results because of the situations they've been in. And they've never really had a lot of options up there because they haven't recruited particularly well in that department. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's any doubt. If you were to leave it until you know, to, till Spurs, which is the beginning of April, you effectively give them another three and a half weeks from now to build up and get to everything. And there's 10 games there. And I think rather than say, for instance, risking before in, in the next week and then go, well, if he does pick it up a nickel, he's got another 16 days to get over it. I'd rather just give him the rest of you know, this month, essentially. And hopefully when he comes back, all of a sudden Everton have got you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is the, in the best condition he can possibly be. And he's done, you know, on top of getting to finish, then on weeks of additional work to get sharpness and hopefully can carry the club through to the end of May. Because as I say, if he can play eight of those last 10 games, I think Evan stay up. Yeah. Gav, I know we can only speculate when it comes to this, but I just wonder, once we get to this stage with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, how much of it is a physical issue and how much is possibly, as the manager's alluded to, um, a mental issue? Uh, both, I would say. Um, I think Dominic has been quite candid in the past, hasn't he? The, um, you know, how he's, he's felt you know, this, this whole thing mentally has been very, hasn't been the best for him. And, and I'd say definitely, uh, I don't think that would be the case for many players. It is the mental strain, isn't it, of being out for a long, long time. affects everybody. And uh, I, I would say both. <laughs> Whether that affects his recovery, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, you know, that, that different players are different, different players are affected in different ways. You know, people are different. So I, I would say both there, Chris. Yeah. But to what extent? You don't know. I, I think picking up on Joe's points, I just think that that's not that's not there's been changes in managers and changes of approaches. I mean, he's had injury problems. I think probably going back to Ancelotti's days, isn't it really? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so you've had Ancelotti, Benitez, Lampard, Dyson with probably you know different medical teams, different as managers with different attitudes towards injured players. And I don't think that's helped either, has it? Um, so that continuity of treatment and, and and rehabilitation has probably been lost. And I think he, of all the players, is probably the one who suffered from the, the, the change, constant change as a manager over the last, well, two years, isn't it now? And, and beyond. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of things going on there with, with Dom. And, you know, you've got your deepest sympathy for him because 
he is what well, what I think what will get to him is you will think is he's he's he is at the peak of his career, isn't he? He should be in theory. Yeah. Well, is he twenty six? Um I think Ivan Tony's probably a year later. Um a year older, sorry. And you think see where Tony is as a as a striker. I know there's some off the pitch issues, but um Dom should be you know, in that territory as such, you would say. They'll think Tony's a far superior all round striker. And it, it's that, that 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 time is run, time is running out in some respects for his peak years. So I think that that will concern him as well. Yeah. So lots of different things are going on. Can, can I just, yeah. just jump in there? Sorry, Chris. I, you know, I, I agree with everything Gav said there, but I also think the club have done nothing to help Dominic Carvalho in, in, in that sense either, because. Uh, you know, I remember saying this when we appointed Dice and how important he was to the idea of Dice's football working at Everton. And over the years, you know, going back to when he really started hitting form when Carlo came in, since then Everton have effectively lost important attacking players and not replaced them suitably or not replaced them at all time after time. So the importance and the pressure on Dominic Carver-Lewin sort of every season, every window has got bigger and bigger. And the players around him and the players that can replace him have either ceased to exist or, or not been good enough. So yeah. you get this external pressure now to the point where every press conference, it's what's going on with Dominic Carver-Lewin. On podcasts like this and, and elsewhere, it's the focus is on Dominic Carver-Lewin constantly. But as if Everton had brought in another centre-forward who could suitably replace him in January, we'd probably be sitting here now going, well, player X has come in, they played six games, how do you reckon they're getting on? How can we get the best out of them? And all these things. But instead, we're still talking about a player who we've all known for the past 18 months, two years, can't stay fit anyway. And, and we're still we're still having these conversations about him. Whereas if Everton had, had looked had looked at this properly and done the business properly in January or the summer and thought, right, we're going to play a system that relies on a, a quite unique striker who is rangy, is tall, and he's someone who can hold the ball up. Let's go and get someone who, who might not be able to do it to that level when Dom's fit, but can do it to, to sort of that level. And they haven't. And, and by by not replacing Dominic Carver, so by not bringing in an alternative to Dominic Carver Lewin and not replacing those key attacking pieces around them suitably, like Richarlison, like Luca Dean, like James Rodriguez, the list goes on and on and on. We've just heaped so much pressure on this lad. Yeah. And it's it's just it's become blatantly obvious for a long time that they just can't do it anymore. And as a result, there's expectation on him, which there probably shouldn't be. And we're getting into situations where he's had to have been rushed back in recent years. And, and I think that that is a little bit fair on, on Dominic Carver-Lewin as well. A little bit unfair on Dominic Carver-Lewin as well. I think I think yesterday, just to carry on that point, didn't I say in his press conference he'll come back with consultation with the player as well? Yeah, I think. Um, so we said it wouldn't be a club club decision, but your point's well made, Matt. In that, I think you talk about Dom's mental health and morale, and 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 it adds that extra layer of pressure, I suppose, doesn't it, on him? That it's always like, when is he back? You know, and the, the unwritten, you know, statement there is something that Joe Joe alluded to, isn't it? Is that actually he's vitally important for the last twelve games, isn't he, in terms of our survival? And and I think there's there's lots of reasons um, why that's the case. And yeah, I think it it that that there's a pressure building to get him back, but that can't be help in some respects. That can't be helping him as well, can it? Both physically and mentally. 
And um, yeah, there's been lots of stuff in the past where he's been rushed back too quick. Be interesting to see whether he's he wanted to play or not. Not though, to be fair. Yeah. Before we move on, this is actually quite timely. Um, general point this week, um, I was at the the opening of the People's Place on on Spello Lane, the first um, dedicated mental health facility affiliated to a Premier League um, football club, and. Um, We've got an article coming on, on that one later from from myself, and it's actually going to talk about how um, everyone who da- who um, bought a copy of um, Everton's Howard's Way is actually going to help in terms of the, the building of that, and in terms of actually saving lives in Liverpool. So that is a a real big um, plus point. But um, moving on to uh, a different aspect of the club um, off the field, Joe, if I, if I may, obviously you and I early this morning we were aware of this um, latest open letter. This time for um, former Everton centre forward Graham Sharp, who's now on the, the board of the Everton directors, and it came from the the fan group NSNOW. Um, a, a series of um, points they wanted to put to to Graham in in terms of what they describe as filling the, the the power vacuum at the club and various other points, which you can see on the article if you go onto the Echo website about how they feel the club should be um, run better. Um, what were your thoughts on on this on this latest open letter towards the Everton hierarchy? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a well written letter, and yeah, let's let's be honest. Although things have calmed down as such recently, in the sense that you know we're we're we're, we're kind of just bubbling along as as, as we have been. the status quo is now a case of there will be a protest before every game, and I think you know the fan groups have made clear their positions. I think it's gone on the club and I think the club through various outlets has said what it's willing to say in the forums. It's willing to put them, obviously they engaged with the, um, you know, the Everton fan advisory board and put out answers to relation to some of the fan concerns over that, how satisfactory they were. And now that's for individuals to make their mind up. You know, I, you know we've written and covered this extensively from both sides. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, we've, We've said that there are still a lot of issues that probably remain unanswered with how things have been handled, everything from well, the most obvious one being the transfer window in, in, in January, but also around the, the wider running of the club and also you know the response to some of the statements they've put out, some of the things that, not just the things they've chosen to say, but how they've said them and the things they've chosen not to say. Um, yeah, we've, we've, we've covered that all, all very extensively I'd, I'd like to think um that of course be willing to listen to anyone that differed with that opinion um yeah i mean it, it does feel really that we are just kind of a, a bit of an impasse i mean since this you know since dykes came in you know i think there's been and i think the fans have done really well to show this obviously that, that you know the fans are unhappy with the board you know, show that they can protest against the board, but support the players within the stadium. Dice had a good atmosphere for every game so far. You know, the the, the fans have at least started the game every game. You know, giving a full back in every home game in particular to to the players and, and and the managers. So, but obviously, on the other hand, you've got the directors have stayed away. So, I kind of we're at that point really where it's almost something's got to give, and it's not clear what it is. You know, when are the directors going to come back if they are? When the process is going to come to stop, well, they're probably not for the time being. So it's interesting who moves first. Who moves first? So I think this is just a continuation of a theme. Really, I've seen a lot of open letters from both sides over the course of um, the, these the, these go ongoing. So I thought it's a well written letter. I think you know there's only four people on Evans' board, and you know the reality is that I, I, 
don't think there really is a barometer through which you can judge Evans dealings as a success at the minute or over a prolonged period of time. The ground you know, and the way, the way that that's developing is very good, but it can't be used as a shield to protect against everything. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if, if the club go down, and there's a very real risk that they go down this season, yeah. if the club go down, well, the stadium becomes a bit of a white elephant. Does it even get completed? Things like that. They'll say, oh, there's plan Bs in place, contingency plans, etc. But obviously, a lot of a lot is unknown if Everton go down. And one thing is clear, it would be catastrophic financially. Um, but obviously, there are only four. And I know that Graham Sharp is a non-executive director, but he is somebody who's got to say there. And, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask him to relay the concerns of, uh, of supporters and you know, to ask him to be a voice for, 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 for change within that. Obviously, people have to take responsibility for the state that Everton are in. There aren't many people at the top and all of them have been in and around the top for quite a considerable amount of time. So, you know, I don't think directing open letters to them and asking them to do more is is particularly unreasonable. Cap, you, you were saying before we went on air, uh, you think there's a there's a real positive role that former players can play in, in the right way um, at, yeah. on the boards board of um, football clubs. So as someone who remembers um, Graham from, um, you know, his, his glory days yourself, um, What's your thought how, how the, the position he, he's, he's sort of almost, I would say, caught in at the moment? Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember that Graham's role is technically independent of the club. Um, if you recall when he was appointed, I think he had to give up his his, his roles he had within the club. So he's technically mm. independent. So he's only so much power he, he has. Um, but he probably has no power. Um, he, so he, he can't put a communication out on behalf of the club. He can't speak on behalf of the club he, he, in, in that role. He can only advise the board of directors. And and, and, and to be fair, as Joe said, it's a well-written letter. And, that, and that's what the source of the thrust of the letter is, isn't it? It's to say, Graham, you know, speak with the board about communicating better and, and so on. But this is not, I've not got a problem with that. Um, whether the board, the board take on his advice or what who's giving advice to the board, it is, it, you know, that's another point. But, all because all because the board are not communicating in a way that the fans don't agree with. It doesn't actually mean that Graham's not doing his job. He could advise them to communicate. The board may just choose not to. Um, so as a non-executive director, that's what he's there for. And but he can within that role, he can monitor the performance and, and be critical critical of what they do, um, as well as 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 a means of driving improvements. But there is a big distinction between Graham and the other three members of the board. He's not an, he, he's independent, so there's only so much he can do. But he can do some of the stuff as as that was asked of him in the in the letter. That's what the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is I think it's not it's not unusual for a former player to be on a board of of a club. I mean, Kenny Kenny's at Liverpool, isn't he? I mean, he's a lot of moves at, at Leeds, and sometimes non-executive appointments are a sort of a way of, I wouldn't say putting a celebrity on there, put a well-known public face associated with the club there as good PR. Um, and so so in that case, it can work. But to me, the problem is, is Graham has been caught up in the, the failings of the board in, in general, hasn't he? Or what fans feel are the failings of the board. And understandably, he's been caught up in that. And he's in an awkward position, I suppose. In, in, in some respects, he's powerless. He can do everything fans ask of him in a non-executive role, but whether the board take on board what he's saying is a, is a, is a different question. What I do know about Graham, I know him limited personally, 
Chris, and you know him far better than me. Yeah. He's pretty forthright in his views, and if he if he wants to pass on a view and criticism, yeah. he will do. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he did that as a player. I'd argue that Graham would have been a far better player if he'd have shut up on the pitch, to be honest with you, because he never yeah. stopped moaning. And his, his, better, his better, better Everton games was when he actually did that. Um, yeah. he, had to, he had far too much to say for himself on the cage, as he admits himself. But <laughs> as a non-executive director, being forthright and honest is one of the things he needs to be. And he can be that. We don't know what goes on behind, behind closed doors. And, um, but unfortunately for him, and sad, quite sadly as a former player, he is part of this, you know, the feeling against the board. And that's understandable from a fan's perspective. But they do, people need to understand that what his role is and what he can do is only very limited because he is independent of the club. And um, it would be interesting to see, see what happens there. Yeah. Matt, I haven't seen the, the open letter yourself this morning. Um, what do you think? That, that, is there a solution to this? Is there, is there a, a amicable way out of, of it all? I mean, it, it doesn't feel like, does it? And, you know, you, you look at Graham Sharp now, and if he, if he decided to resign from the board tomorrow and came out and spoke to the fans directly, then I suppose he would be kind of proclaimed a bit of a hero, wouldn't it? So maybe that's sort of the way out for him to, to, to come out of this in the most positive way. But just kind of echo with what the, the lads have both said there in regards to the letter. I think it's it's well written. I think the, the concerns put forward in it are, are absolutely fair at this point. Um, I suppose the, the, the one thing that's maybe a bit different about Graham Sharp compared to the other people on the board is that it was only in January, wasn't it? I think after the West Ham game that he came out and spoke to a journalist from the Mirror and gave some pretty candid thoughts about, you know, what he thought was going on at the football club. I think he said that the protests had gone too far, which obviously, you know, what you know, wound up some supporters, given that the majority of the, the protests have been pretty peaceful. So maybe maybe there's a, a bit of that thinking behind it that he's, he's come out and spoken to to journalists before, whereas you know everybody else seems to go. Radio silence on the board. Farhad Mashiri will only do interviews that are sort of club sanctioned and, and with one other journalist on, on a national yeah. radio station. So I, I don't know if that's sort of behind it as a way of sort of opening up, you know, some more independent communication, you know, in a manner not too dissimilar to what we've seen across the park this week with one of our colleagues and the owner having yeah. a, a Liverpool having a having a chat. So I think it's it just it just sort of reeks of the, the frustration, doesn't it, uh, of people at the moment, and if there's going to be sustained protests that happen before every home game, then I imagine that there's going to be scrutiny on everybody on the board as well. You know, it's showing that the the people at the football club who are making decisions and having an impact are, are going to be scrutinised. And Graham Sharp is is there at the moment. Um, you know, I, was, I wasn't a huge fan of the appointments when it happened to begin with. I think it was one that I think should have been accompanied by somebody who's got more experience in football and um, football strategy. And um, I think the fact that Graham Sharp just sort of came in on his own was a bit of a, you know, felt like a bit of a, a piecemeal really. Um, but I think it's, um, it, it's one of them where I imagine this won't be the, the first letter directed to an individual, individual board member, because I think you know, like, like Joe said before, you can't look at Everton's situation and, and not apply scrutiny to it and not ask who are making the decisions here. It's, um, I think everybody needs to have a look at themselves and, and sort of be held to accountable for all that. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, like as, as Joe said, you know, when there's a distinct possibility of a first relegation in 72 years, you can't just pin it all on the on the field side of things. Uh, moving back to the, the on the field matters, uh, Joe, um, the small matter of, of Brentford, who is it? Is it 12 games un, unbeaten now to Thomas Frank's men? I mean, that's, that's something for him and Sean to talk about. <laughs> well, hopefully they talk about it. It's Nigel just ended yeah. ended the uh, the unbeaten run, and Frank doesn't mind so much because they're such good mates. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I still I don't know about you, but I, every now and then I still catch myself daydreaming about the last time Brentford came to Goodison Park oh. at the back end of last season, and I still kind of look back on that game with such astonishment in, in the sense I just can't believe it happened and it unfolded in the way that it did. And obviously there were a lot of contentious elements to it, but just the the sight of, of Rondon, you know, Everton 3-2 down, down to 10 men already, desperate for a goal to help him in their relegation battle, bring Rondon on. And after after two minutes, he, t- he, he sives down a play with a horrible two-footed lunge, gets sent off and claps the fans as he as he goes. As he goes. I just still can't get my head. I can't. Do, do you think that's what Moise Keane was inspired by last weekend? <laughs> Maybe. Well, one of the things I've been thinking the last few weeks is, is the, the way in which the Deitch team set up and the fact that it, it's so suited to a target man up top that all of a sudden part of me wonders if you know the decision to uh, to let Rondon go before January is actually coming back to Hornet a little bit because it probably would have been slightly better off in some of the recent games. But then I do flash back to that Brentford day and just think, what was going on? What was going on? Um, I mean, obviously this is a Brentford side that doesn't have Christian Eriksen. I mean, for all the kind of Pressure and intensity of the there wasn't even situation on on that day. It was a you know, it was a pleasure to be able to see someone as good as Christian Eriksen pop the ball around as well as he did. Once Everton went down to ten men, you know he, he really was exceptional. Uh, but this is going to be a very difficult game, really difficult game. We spoke about the Forest game, you know, a couple of days ago on the last pod, and there were a lot of positives to take from the positive from the from the Forest game before. But ultimately, you can't come away from it with anything other than a sense that it was two points dropped because of the extremity of Evans' situation. And you know, I think when we get, go back a couple of pods, probably this time last week, it was going to, these two running games. For me, I think Everton needed to win one of these two with the fixtures they've got coming up. And we could have done with one of the winning one of those two. It would have been a massive help that they could have held on in that last fifteen minutes of Forest because this isn't going to be an easy game tomorrow. They're a good side, Brentford, and you know they they're going to really challenge Everton. They're not unbeatable. I mean, they're on a good run, but they're not unbeatable. Um, but yeah, they had a, they had another good win on on Monday night and looked look pretty decent. But Everton just Everton are going to have to be at their best if if they, if they want to beat them. And they're going to have to be at their very best tactically. And they're also going to want to re- need to really want it as well. And we have seen that from the majority of games under Deitch, but you know, there was the derby and then there was the second half against Arsenal, like Arsenal at Arsenal. You know, what we can't afford is we can't afford to have 45 minutes or more be uh, against Brentford where Evan aren't at 100% because they are a side that's good enough to punish Evan. Yeah. Gav, what type of game are you expecting tomorrow? Um, a very tough one. I, yeah. I really like Brentford. I think last year I know Brantway got sent off, but the 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 uh, did the you know a a great lesson how to play against ten men. You know, don't change, just keep it patient, and the gaps will appear, and that that's what happens. I think they're really well balanced. Got a good midfield. They got a strong trio up front. 
but obviously I'd say Palm for Palm, probably the best coach team in the in the Premier League, and I think it's going to be a tough game for us. I, I think um, I think after the last ten Premier League games, only City got more points than them, haven't they? And in the, the last twelve, I think the last twelve they got two points than what we've got all season from twenty six games. So. You're talking again. I mean, Brighton have had loads of plaudits, haven't they, this season? Mm. But Brentford, they've sort of been a little bit under the radar, haven't they, really? Yeah. In comparison. But they've just been just as effective, and I think they've only lost four games. So, um, oh, yeah, it's going to be a really tough game. I'm looking forward to watching Ivan Tony because I think he's a terrific centre forward. And I was just wondering with Ben Mee playing, if he's playing, is, is it a collective noun for former Bernie centre halves? <laughs> <laughs> We'll be able to. Uh, I don't know what you, what would you call it a turf more of former Bernie yeah. centre half? Would you possibly clogging yeah. clogging clogging? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that that'd be interesting. And Bernie, of course, has got a couple of goals at Goldsmiths. You know, thankfully for us. Um, so yeah, I think a bit. This is one of them games. And look at the fixes. I think. Oh well, not one of the tougher ones, but actually on the day, given their twelve games unbeaten. Um, it's a lot tougher than, say, you would have said at the start of the season, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, and I think that I think they're a far better team than Villa. And uh, I think it'll be a real, real tough match oh. for us. And we watched them the first five or ten minutes on, Mon- on Monday night, and they were, uh, they, were, they were really good. So, yeah, be, 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 similar game to the Arsenal game, perhaps. Hmm. Matt, um, Gav's given them the big build up there. I mean, they, they were the sort of team, maybe you'd thought Christian Erksen, as you said, has, has gone now. Um, the sort of team who would be um, second syndrome, second season syndrome. Uh, you'd think they possibly suffer that, but it's, it's not been the case. Can can you um, can you give us any more of a positive slant than what Gav's just come up with there? Um... No, I mean they're just they're just a really good outfit, aren't they? You know, they've got. They, they, I mean, the thing now when I was watching them on Monday is that it was the lads they were bringing off the bench. Like they, they signed uh, Kevin Sharder, didn't they? In January, they, they had lads coming on in midfield who, who were different. They've got good depth in in defence as well. And I think as much as Ericsson going was a big blow, it feels like they just just one of those clubs, aren't they? Like Brighton, every sign you you know. They make you think I've never heard of that lad, but I reckon in two, three years he's going to be going somewhere for 40, 50 million because they, they very rarely get it wrong, do they? Um, yeah, it, it, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a solid game to be honest. You know, I, I think just match up wise as well, they've got, I think that forward line is, is not only lads who are really quick and you know, clever and, and like Tony and Buemo and, and Vissa, but they, they can handle the, the physical battle as well, aren't they? And you think where where are think back to that Arsenal game um where we had so much success, I think our, our centre back did really well to sort of bully that Arsenal front fours, you know, as much as they're technically amazing and, and skillful, but we really got stuck into them that day. I think the Brentford forwards probably be able to handle that kind of battle a, a little bit better. Um, to be honest, so yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. I mean, from, from Everton' point of view, I'd probably play Yerry Mina to try and deal with that. Um, I, I know Michael Keane's come back into the side recently. Cody's been playing a lot, um, and there's so much talk about Dominic Carvalho Lewin and how if we can get him on the pitch, we kind of need to. I, I don't know why the same doesn't really apply to to Yerry at the moment. You know, I think he's still our best centre back by all accounts. He's fit and training. 
we probably have four other centre backs on the bench anyway. If we need to replace him, you know, we're not we're not using our five subs, are we, all the time anyway? So, I mean, yeah. I, I'll get him in the team somehow just for for this kind of battle to try and you know do a bit of a job and wind up Ivan Tony. Um, but elsewhere, I think it's just going to be a case of we're trying to trying to hang on, trying to battle, and trying to to, to nick something again because they are. A better side than Everton. I think there'll be a lot of people looking at this going Brentford at home. We should be getting three points, but you know they're they're playing really well. You've got better options all over the pitch, um, and I think Everton have to play really really well to get anything else out of this game. Okay, so we've built up Brentford to be like Brazil nineteen seventy. We said Everton got no options on the bench. Is this the point where we all say eighteenth place Everton? Fewer goals than anyone else in the top six divisions are now going to beat them. Uh, Joe, um, what's your prediction <laughs> for tomorrow? <laughs> oh, um, I agree with Matt on the Yerimina point. I think now that now that the decision has been made to break up the Cody Tarkovsky partnership, if that's going to be a if that's a long term mindset, then I don't really understand why it's not Yerimina that's there. That's you know, gone from third choice to first choice rather than Keane. He's essentially gone from sixth choice under Lampard to what looks like now first choice under under Deitch, which is a you know been an interesting rise. Uh, I do think it'll be a tough game. I want to remain positive, so I'm going to go for an Everton win. I'm going to say one 0 to Everton. So um, there we go. Despite Gav. your build up there, yeah, Gav. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree about me. You know, I think basically everybody who's spoken to this week about me, me and this said he should play. Uh, shout out to my neighbour by the way he said like about Rondon you shouldn't have sold him or got rid of him that would have been ideal you know not ideal but it would have been an option up front at least for us um, but yeah I, I'm going to go with that similar results to after game I don't know why but I'm going to say Everton won Brentford nil because it could be unlucky 13 of course to Brentford of course and um, I'll go with that yeah Matt <laughs> I mean, we're due a decision against these, aren't we? Like, Absolutely. You know, Joe, Joe, talking about that, talking about that game last year, you know, God, the, the memories from that day. You know, I've never been more confident to be like going into a ground that we were going to stay up and then walking out the ground thinking we were absolutely dead and buried. It was just such a mad roller coaster. But you, know, you think about the penalty Richard didn't get, you know, the penalty he did get when the lad, I think it was, um, was it Jan Elt should have been sent off for a second yellow card? You know, it was just absolutely terrible the referee in that day. So I'll I'll go for I'll go for a full house of one nils and we'll win thanks to a really dodgy free kick from a Yerry Mina header on the way back from his uh, on the way back from his return. A Thomas Frankel <laughs> kick off massively in the post match press conference, and him and Dice shall be mates no more. <laughs> okay. we, we, we can only hope um, yeah um, I, well, I can't beat them join them I'm going to say a full house Everton 1-0 wins other than I, I can't see Everton getting another couple of goals who knows but yeah we there we go we built Brentford up and then knocked them down at the end there and gone with, we're all going to go for a 1-0 Everton victory so regardless of whether that's the scoreline or not we'll be back with you next week to uh, view what, what happened um, when the bees came to to Goodison Park I've been your host Chris Beasley I've been joined by Joe Thomas Gavin Buckland and Matt Jones this has been the Royal Blue Podcast You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo